will be on the screen shortly as well. Welcome all of you to the house of the Lord today in person and online. He is risen. Maranatha. We shall all rise to meet him. Hallelujah. Sunday school teacher gave an assignment one Sunday before Easter. And I told the children that they were to bring back something the following week on that Sunday to mark new life. Could be something like a flower or whatever, you know. Little boy in the class was a little simple-minded, and she was worried he might not get the lesson and understand the principle, but she gave the lesson anyway and forgot to talk to his mom and dad. The next Sunday came, and little Susie's egg opened it up, and it had a little flower. And she goes, yes, flowers, spring, new life. And Ralph's little egg opened up, and there was a rock with moss on it. Yes, you know, spring, new life. She opened Johnny's egg, and it was empty. And she thought, oh, I forgot to talk to his mom and dad. And she quickly put the egg back down and picked up another child's egg to open it up. And Johnny raised his hand and said, teacher, why don't you talk about my egg? And she says, but honey, it's empty. He goes, and so was the tomb. I think Johnny got the lesson. I don't think he missed it one bit. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Amen? Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower thereof falls away. But the Word of the Lord... Endures forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. With the help of the Lord, for just a few more minutes, I'm going to preach on this subject. God's prophetic promise. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that you went to the cross. We thank you that you bore our sin and took it away. We thank you that you were buried in a tomb and rose on the third day and we now have resurrection. The tomb is empty Jesus so that we can be filled with your spirit and we praise you in Jesus mighty name and what everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. The promise that we find in 1 Peter 1 18 through 25 my text was, in fact, borrowed, if I can use that term, from the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, such things were prophesied so much so that Peter even says before the foundation of the world, he was already the Lamb. Three particular chapters in the Bible stand out to me to really highlight this beautiful thing that we're celebrating this entire week culminating with today. That is Psalm 22 and Psalm 35 and Isaiah 53. These three chapters 
of many, by the way. In fact, 456 total prophecies in the Old Testament. But these three prophesy Calvary in explicit, vivid detail, giving us the truth about Jesus' death and his resurrection. So much so that many modern-day Jews either refuse to read these passages or some have banned them from their Bibles entirely. These three chapters, along with the 456 prophecies of Jesus' birth, His life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, and His ascension, fill the Old Testament from Galatians all the way, or Genesis, excuse me, all the way through to Malachi. But what's more, in the empty and formless void that there was before He created, Before there's a Genesis 1-1, he had already first decided to be the Lamb. I want you to think about that in light of those of you in the first half who heard Pastor Lucas. Amen. He talked about how that Jesus sent them to Galilee. He went before them. He knew that's where they were going to return. He knew they were going to be despondent and wouldn't understand. And he said, I'm already going to be there before you. Well, in the same way, before there's a serpent to slither into a garden and tempt man to sin, God's already got a plan of salvation. Hallelujah. Watch what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 say. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us abundantly, amen, with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before He said, let there be light, He already had the church in mind. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 1, 18, I already read it. Verse 20, amen. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Go to Revelation 13, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him, whose names are not written in the book of life, slain from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. When Abel offered his lamb, As the more excellent sacrifice, it was a lamb for a man. When Israel first partook of the lamb inside of Goshen before leaving in that first Passover, it was a lamb for a family. When Israel worshipped in the wilderness after God gave them the law, it was a lamb for a nation. But when John saw Jesus, he prophesied and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It was no longer a lamb for a man or one family or one nation, but for the world. The blood of all the animals sacrificed year after year, feast after feast, would never take away sin. It would only roll them ahead for a year. But Jesus in one day took away all iniquity. Hallelujah. Somebody shout, Glory! Hallelujah. By the way, I did wear my glory suit. It says glory right on the lapel, right inside there. Just, just, just so you know, I knew I was going to shout glory. So I'm not kidding you, Brother Danny. It says it right there. Right there. Made for glory. Hallelujah. God's prophetic promise existed before the foundation of the world. And he was proclaimed throughout every generation. 
And it was all these prophecies were fulfilled when he began, first was born, of course, in Bethlehem. And this is what Peter proclaimed in our original text today. But I want to focus on something special from Psalm 22, if I could, for just a moment. And, and because Peter would have known Psalm 22, he would have quoted it, read it, said it, prayed it, sang it, all of these things. And I have a feeling that reading his epistles in his latter years of life, that he would have learned the lessons that Psalm 22 teach. You cannot read Psalm 22 without being vividly confronted with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was written almost 1,000 years before Christ was crucified. And about 500 years before crucifixion was even a form of capital punishment. So we know that can't be David speaking of himself. And yet, as if he is an eyewitness to Calvary, he pins 19 distinct and explicit prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus at his crucifixion. Therefore, we must approach this psalm with awe and appreciation and a soberness of both heart and mind. It is the most compelling and most transparent picture of Calvary and the resurrection in the Old Testament. The first half of this psalm reveals that Jesus will suffer death upon a cross. His cry for help is expressed as he prays during his crucifixion. Then, in the second half of the psalm, his song of praise will be heard as he preaches and proclaims victory and the resurrection is prophesied. In fact, Psalm 22 stands with 23 and 24 as a prophetical trilogy of Christ. In Psalm 22, he is the good shepherd that John said would lay down his life for the sheep. In Psalm 23, he is the great shepherd who cares and provides for his flock as Hebrews 13 teaches. And in Psalm 24, he is the soon coming chief shepherd who, must, who will reward the righteous when he returns according to 1 Peter 5 and four. The darkness of the crucifixion found in the first half of Psalm 22 will give way to the brightness of Resurrection Sunday as prophesied in the latter part of Psalm 22. You see, Jesus will borrow a tomb, but He will buy the church. Uh You know, he said, I'm only going to be in the tomb three days, but I'm going to abide in the church forever. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Thanks, Joseph of Arimathea. I'm only going to need it for a short while. In three days, I'm coming out. You can have it back. I'll leave it pristine. Oh, hallelujah. I wish, though, this is just Myron wishing here. I wish Jesus would have inscribed on the side of the tomb, I was here. (laughs) <laughs> just, just that would have been neat, but he didn't. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. While suspended between heaven and earth, Jesus quotes verse 1 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He did so, so that all who heard him that day, and we who today can read Psalm 22, would understand his suffering and death through the lens of Psalm 22 and realize (laughs) that he fulfilled all the law and the prophets. 
Verses 6 through 8 clearly speak about the crowd who was present that day, the two thieves, the crowd that jeered at him, the hateful, spiteful, jealous religious leaders, the Roman soldiers who mocked him and gambled at his feet, the bulls, lions, and dogs that verses 10 through 13 and 16 and 20 all depict the beast-like nature of those who despised, rejected, and mocked Jesus, including both Jew and Roman. Verse 14 reveals the blood and water that flowed from his side when he was pierced. It describes the great pain he experienced when his bones were ripped out of their sockets and his body was stretched and nailed to the cross. In fact, it even describes that his heart was like wax as every drop of blood flowed out of his body. Medical science has proven not a single drop of blood was left in his body. Verse 15 shows Jesus so overwhelmed with thirst that his tongue clay uh, uh, was cleaving to his jaws, making it extremely difficult for him to say, I thirst in John 19.28. Verse 16 captures the sounds of the hammers and the spikes as they pierced through Jesus' hands and feet, nailing Him to the cross. Verse 17 proves that although His bones were pulled out of joint like verse 14 revealed, not one of them were broken. Verse 18 zooms in on the soldiers as they gamble over Jesus' garments. Verses 19 through 21 restate the cry that he, for help that we see in verse 1, but also points to Jesus forgiving the repentant thief and saying to all, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and into thy hands I commend my spirit. And as this section ends, the first 21 verses... David writes two phrases in verse 21. Save me, for thou hast heard. These two phrases are from a single Hebrew word, which means the resurrection is coming. His death will not be the end of the story. He will die, but he will rise again three days later. Their mourning will turn to dancing. Their darkness will give way to the light. Oh, hallelujah. I'm glad that it wasn't over when they laid him in a tomb. I'm glad it wasn't over when they wrapped him and laid the napkin over his face. I'm glad it wasn't over when they rolled the stone in front of the door. I'm glad it wasn't over when they posted a guard to make sure he stayed in there. I'm glad it wasn't over because on the third day an angel stepped down from heaven, rolled that stone away. Hallelujah. Are you glad that Jesus is alive? Hey! Woo! Psalm 22 transitions from suffering to song, from pain to purpose, from death to life, from unspeakable agony to unspeakable joy. Suddenly, the song is transposed into another key because the cross will give way to the crown. Although his suffering was real 
And Jesus felt every drop of blood leave his temporary body. He knew how the story ended. And so did David as he wrote it. Mm. What intrigues me, though, is while the disciples were afraid and confused, and the religious leaders were glad to return to their religious service, neither of them remembered Psalm 22, even though he quoted it, and 19 prophecies were fulfilled in those few short hours on that cross. Hmm. If they did remember it, it didn't register. It didn't click. You see, as verse 22 begins and goes through 29, it, it shows the preaching Jesus did on the cross. We also find this, by the way, in Hebrews chapter 2, 9 through 15. God's prophetic promise, let me say. That's why the preaching of the word of Jesus Christ, that's why preaching Christ crucified is the answer. I'm all for strategy. I'm all for trying new things. I'm all for, for all these things that we do to, to so, uh, have church growth. And I'm not trying to, to embellish or, 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 or be disparaging in any way of anything about that. I, I love church growth. I love studying it. Amen. But at the end of the day, we've got to preach Christ crucified. Amen. It is this apostolic preaching of Jesus Christ that produces a demonstration of the spirit and power of God every time. I don't want enticing words of man's wisdom to come from this pulpit or these lips. Hey Amen. I want the demonstration of the spirit and power of God. And what Jesus was preaching from the cross was declaring that a people would yet to be born. Hallelujah. Here, here's David writing it. A thousand years before, there's going to be a people born. He wasn't writing about people that were going to be there that day a thousand years later. He was writing about the new birth that would take place because of Calvary. You see, the preaching of Jesus Christ works in Malaysia as well as it does in Morovia. It works in Africa as well as it does all over Asia. It works in North America and South America. It works in rural countrysides and urban metroplexes. Amen. It works for the wealthy or those in poverty. The gospel works for the educated and the unlearned. The apostolic preaching of Jesus Christ works everywhere, every time and never goes out of style. And we can preach whether we're called or not. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. When you share your testimony of what Jesus did for you, where he brought you from, you're preaching the cross. Hallelujah. This is what I was before him. Messed up, doped up, drugged up, down and out, lost, without hope. This is where I was before. But he saved me and he healed me and he delivered me. And this is where I am now. When you tell your testimony, you're preaching Christ crucified and resurrected. Hallelujah. Verses 30 and 31 of Psalm 22 prophesied that the Gentiles would hear the preaching of the cross and be grafted into the vine. Here's something that I, I think the devil proves his stupidity with. He, he, 
first of all, puts a seed on a tree and then buries it in a garden. The Bible calls Jesus the promised seed. Right? I mean, how stupid. Especially since Jesus had said, except a kernel of wheat die. <laughs> Good old dumb Satan, you know. Let's bury him. He's done. Woo-hoo! No, he's coming back. And going to be a whole lot more. Oh! But, but here's what's cool. Because he rose, and because 47 days later, his spirit was poured out upon us, the Bible calls us the children of the promise counted for the seed. In other words, Christ was preaching from the cross unto a people that would be born again. The shall be born element was those that would be born again. Oh, I wish you'd hear what I'm saying. David was not prophesying natural birth. He was prophesying spiritual birth. And that's the power of the preaching of the cross and the resurrection. And from one generation to another, this glorious gospel will be preached. It will be preached in all the world, the Bible says, and then the end will come. And those who hear it and obey, amen, can be and will be saved. Why? Because with him there's no prejudice and there's no discrimination. He's not willing any should perish, but all should come to repentance. What a merciful God. And so David, as a prophetic eyewitness, pins the final words of the psalm in verse 31, saying, He hath done this. These in the Hebrew correspond to the final words Jesus said on the cross, It is finished. <laughs> Just like the Old Testament high priest who would come forth after the sacrifice and lift his hands and declare, it is finished. Jesus, as the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, was declaring that the sacrifice was pure and had been accepted and therefore sins were not just rolled ahead, but all iniquity was taken away. The Bible calls Jesus the one sacrifice for sins forever. There's not a sin big enough. There's not sin great enough that the blood of Jesus still won't cover. Hallelujah. The Bible says he became our sin so that we could become his righteousness. Amen. That means his sacrifice was once for all people, once for all time, and once for all sin. Hallelujah. So without the birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. We are lost without hope. God's prophetic promise revealed to David in Psalm 22 and revealed throughout the entire Bible and fulfilled, of course, in Jesus proves an old song. It says, He knew me, yet He loved me. He whose glory makes the heavens shine. I was so unworthy of such mercy. Yet when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Mm. 
Oh, hallelujah. Something begins to happen when you realize that even before the cross, even before Genesis 1-1, you were already on His mind. <laughs> oh, that means He's already in your tomorrows. Oh, hallelujah. He's already in your next years. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. What we go through doesn't phase Him. He's already been there. He's already walked it. He's just waiting for us to catch up. Mm-hmm. So today... Today, we celebrate the risen Savior. How can we do this? Well, real easy. First, we appreciate the cross and the empty tomb. We thank God every day for making a way for it possible that we could be saved. Not just on Resurrection Sunday, but every day. Secondly, we accept the cross and the empty tomb. You can't improve on it. you've probably seen like Passion of the Christ type movies and maybe that one and others and, and, and you know, uh, they depict different things and all that and they do their best and some of them take a little too much artistic license and, and, and I don't know one yet that has really truly done justice. Maybe Passion of the Christ might be the closest, but, but we can't improve on it. We, we can't apply some sort of great knowledge that we have with cinematography and, and make it even that much better. No, it's, it's, it's perfect as it is. And, and let me just, while I'm on that subject, say this. I know we can go to the Bible bookstores and get the nice, polished-looking, pretty crosses that, that, that don't have any thorns, and, and some are made out of crystal and other things, and, and, and we can have those maybe on our desk as a paperweight or whatever, but, folks, it wasn't this polished, beautiful thing. It wasn't sanitary. It, 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 was, it was covered with his blood and other blood of other criminals that had been uh, uh, killed there. The Bible says his visage was so marred, he couldn't even recognize he was a man. So accept it. Accept that it's perfect as it is. You know, preachers sometimes, we, we come up with titles, we come up with different ways and graphics and different things. And I understand that. I understand adding an element of it. It's called homiletics if you want to know what it's called. You, you don't want me to be boring. I know that, you know. Uh, the cross is this really nice thing that Jesus did for us. And... Right, we're all falling asleep, right? So I'm not going to give you a homily. I'm going to preach the word to you. But, but I can add some things to, but at the same time, even that, we, we don't want to detract from its, its beauty as it is. You see, people think, well, how, how can something so gross, so much signifying death become life? Well, that's why Jesus said it's the foolishness of the preaching of the cross. To them that perish, it's foolishness. You're, what are you preaching a cross for? Ah, oh, but to us, it's the power of God. Because we know what happened at the foot of the cross. We know what happened on our resurrection Sunday when He filled us with His Spirit. So we accept it, and then we apply it. And of course, part of that application is if you're not baptized, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, if you haven't repented, then do so. If you have, then praise God, live a sanctified life for God. Apply it daily. So if you've not repented here today, today's the day of salvation. If you need to repent again, Paul said, I die daily. Today's the day of salvation. We've already baptized one. 
We got more towels and robes. If you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, don't wait, don't delay. Today is the day. If you need to be filled with the Spirit, the empty tomb tells us it's empty so we can be filled. What'd you say, Pastor Lucas? He's in us. Amen. He wants to fill us. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the power of what this whole week represents. Everything from Hosanna last Sunday to the risen Savior this Sunday is so that we could be saved and filled with His Spirit. Hallelujah. By the way, the Bible says we can have the Spirit without measure. You can have as much as you want. 